Good morning. Really? Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Wow, that's sad. That's okay. I know you guys are tired. I am too. Um, but just for a few minutes, uh, I just want to talk about this thing called, uh, my topic is spiritual forecast, you know, where will you be in five years? And in the context of spiritual forecast, you know, forecast is something you look, you know, into the future, kind of, you know, you predict, you plan, blah, 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 you know, you think about the weatherman, right? Uh, we're going to talk about that and this reality of staring into the future and oftentimes how we look into the future or we try to and what do we see a lot of times for me or at least it used to be the case a lot of times i saw nothing just void darkness unknown kind of scared right it's like a little kid looking down uh, the set of stairs you know I'm thirsty, I got up at like 2 a.m. in the morning. I don't know why. I want to go downstairs, but it's really dark. And I'm like five years old. And I don't want to go into that. I don't know what's down there. There may be scary monsters down there, right? <laughs> Sometimes looking into the future can kind of feel like that. And I want to talk about my personal experience uh, when I was younger. And in fact, when I was just exactly in the range of you guys' age, uh, when you guys are thinking about your futures and what you want to do in life and in the context of Christianity, in the context of your faith, you know, how do you plan for these things and what kind of realities do you have to come to face? Uh, I want to talk about that. So I want to tell you about myself a little bit. When I was in high school, I hated this question. And a lot of people asked me this question. And a lot of those people who asked me this question uh, really all happen to be adults. I hated the question of, what's your plan? You get that question a lot in your age? Do people come up to you and ask you, hey, what are you doing when you're growing up? Like when you grow up, right? Do you have plans? What do you want to be? Maybe if you're like younger, you know, uh, they, they ask you like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you say like, oh, I want to be a firefighter or something like that. But as you grow up and get older, Right, that answer has to be a little more nuanced, a little more detailed, right? And I hated that question. I hated that question. I don't know if you feel me on this, but I hated that question because I really didn't know the answer to that, right? So when my parents would ask me, hey, what's your plan for the next like five years? Where do you see yourself? Or when an adult at church would ask, come up to me, and you know, they're being nice, you know, they're like, oh, you know, this young man, you know, looks promising, you're asking, you know, you're making conversation, and he's asking me, hey, you know, what's your plan? Where are you going to college? Or, or what do you want to do for work? And you're just like, man, I don't have the answer to that. And I feel like I'm being put on the spot right now, being asked this very loaded question of, what does your future look like to you? And I don't have the answer to that. So I hated that question. I did not like being asked that question because I didn't, didn't know where exactly I was going. And so when adults ask me that question, I just kind of like, you know, I gave a very generic answer. Oh, I'm gonna go to college, I guess, right? Maybe pursue a major and get a degree, right? And hopefully get a job, right? That was like the generic answer, but I hated it. It would also remind me of who I was. You know, I, I still, um, as Bryce mentioned, I am from 
South Korea. I was born in South Korea. I moved to the United States in 2006 when I was nine years old to a little place called Martin, Tennessee. I don't know if you know where that is. Uh, UT Martin, you know where that is? Yeah, uh, middle of nowhere, really, uh, in the in the West West Tennessee region. Uh, back then, when I was there, the biggest thing we had was Walmart. <laughs> Uh, so literally nothing to do, right? But anyway, that's when I moved to the United States when I was nine years old. Can you imagine being nine years old? Think back to maybe some of you are nine years old. I don't know. Uh, uh, but think back to a time when you were nine years old and you moved to, let, let's say you moved to a foreign country. You don't speak the language. You don't know the culture. You have no idea what you're expecting. And you drop into the middle of nowhere. Like think about if you like, all of a sudden your family moved to Russia. Right? In this town with nothing but a Walmart. Right? That's where I was. So for a lot of my early childhood, that was my identity. Is that I really didn't have an identity in the United States. Right? I was an immigrant. I, our, my family was on, on a visa. Right? And you know what a visa is, right? It's for people who travel. It's temporary. It's not for people who, who are planning on living there for an extended period of time, right? So my identity for the most part of my early childhood was that I was an immigrant who really didn't belong there. I eventually learned the language. Obviously, I'm speaking to you in English right now, not Korean. I still speak Korean, not bad, right? But a long time ago, there was a time when I didn't really feel at home here. So. You know, that's my early childhood, and that never really got better as I grew older. And comes time for me to think about my future. You know, I'm a freshman in high school, still kind of far away, sophomore. I'm feeling it a little bit, right? I'm starting to feel a little bit that this is reality, that I am getting older, and sometime in the future, soon, that I won't be in high school anymore. And then junior, oh my goodness. Junior year is when everyone is, you know, scrambling to find their place, you know, uh, uh, and, and future plans, right? People want to go to college, they're applying. They're applying, right? And I was one of those people. Senior year, it's here. I mean, that, this is literally your last year. So if you're not there yet, you, you may still uh, be able to relate that it's coming, right? This thing called the future. Uh, so I was dealing with all of that. I still didn't really feel all that myself, all that at home, right? My family was still struggling with the visa situation. That didn't get resolved until I was in, uh, I was a sophomore, towards the end of my sophomore year in Free, at Free Harden, right? Uh, when we finally got our permanent residence, right? that's, that's when you, when you when you were like, oh, we're going to stay here for a long time, right? Uh, so it really didn't help that my situation kind of made me feel not at home. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know who I was going to be. I didn't know who I wanted to be really even, right? because I was so bogged, by, bogged down by all these things coming at me, right? Maybe you relate to that. Maybe you're in that situation and you're not an immigrant like me or like I was, right? But maybe you feel that on a certain extent, on a certain level, but you don't feel at home sometimes. You don't know what you are. You don't know who you want to be, right? And when you look into the future, it's just this big, massive void. It's an abyss, right? And maybe you're one of those people like me when I was 
uh, in high school who hated that question of, hey, what are you going to be in X amount of years? Or what do you want to do? I just don't know the answer. I don't know. I wonder if you feel that way sometimes. Unfortunately, this class is not the place for you to get all the answers to that. This is not a, some kind of intervention where we're going to decide, hey, we're going to figure out what we want to do in our lives. This is not designed for that. And also, it's not a place for where we are going to decide some kind of physical or uh, secular kind of plan. Right? I know everyone has different tracks. Everyone has different um, ambitions in life. Everyone has different desires right, in terms of what they want to do in life. Right? Maybe some vague, some more concrete, depending on the stage or your age. Right? But this is a place where we're going to discuss how do we navigate this spiritually? Because we don't ask that question enough, I don't think. And maybe what I'm suggesting to you today is that that was a problem for me back then. Because what I was so worried about was where I was going in terms of my career, or in terms of making a living, or blah, blah, blah. But I never really worried about where am I going with this in terms of my spirituality. I never asked that question so deeply, or really too deeply at all. Right? And maybe that's where my problem was. I want to discuss that with you today. The topic of spiritual forecast. Where will you be in five years? Have you ever thought about that? Maybe you have thought about that in terms of your career. Some of you are seniors, some of you are juniors, whatever, in high school. And you know, I know that you have plans for the future. But have you ever sat down and just closed your eyes, or I don't know what you have to do, but sat down and thought about, where am I going to be in terms of my spirituality in the future. Is it scary? It's like the thought of you not knowing what your future is gonna hold in terms of your career or what kind of living you're gonna be making? Or do you have a plan? Do you have some kind of idea? Do you have a way to navigate that? I'm 25 years old now, so I'm ancient history kind of. Uh, there are some things that I've learned over the few years I'm not that much older than you. I've been there just a couple of few years ago, right? Here's some things that I want to impart to you in terms of looking back, you know, and thinking about the things that I've been through, something that may help you, right? In terms of thinking about the future and planning ahead and forecasting your spirituality, where you're going to be, where your heart's going to be, Right, and how to navigate all of this mess that we call life. All right, so we're gonna have five points. If you're taking notes, I don't see any scribbling right now, but yeah, but we're gonna have five points. So when we get to those points, I'll, I'll try to slow down and uh, you know not go too fast so uh, you can write it down. Here's number one. Here's number one. I despised not knowing. Right? I hated not knowing, but eventually I learned that it is okay to not know. And that idea comes from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, and we'll read that later. Like I said earlier, I'm the kind of person, uh, well, maybe I didn't mention it earlier, but I'm the kind of person that likes to know. And I think on a base level, most humans are. We like to know. We don't like the dark. Why? Because we don't know what's in the dark. Right? So we don't like the unknown, 
just on a fundamental human level. But I'm the kind of person, I'm the, I'm the kind of personality that really likes to have my answers, right? Because I hate not knowing, right? I hate not being able to plan for things. And when something like just springs upon me, it is like the worst thing ever, right? That's the kind of person I am, right? Um, I try to stay cool and I've learned, mellowed out over the years, right? To be able to play off of situations. But when I was younger, I hated that. So I especially despise not knowing the answers right, to the questions that I had about life. But eventually I learned that it is okay sometimes not know. I'm not saying it's okay to never know anything. I hope you know the answers to the questions on your quizzes and tests, right? At school, or when somebody asks you about like, you know, a biblical concept, I hope you know the answers to those. But what I'm saying is sometimes we think of life as this series of questions and, and we have to have the answers all the time. But I learned that it's okay sometimes to not know. I had a lot of friends in high school and before my family moved to Georgia, we lived in Oxford, Mississippi. Uh, what what is there? What is an Oxford, Mississippi? Land. Hmm? Land. Farmland. Farmland? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I was looking for more like Ole Miss or something like that. I don't know. But uh, a lot of rich people are in uh, Oxford, Mississippi. And I was a little immigrant boy living among uh, a bunch of uh, white dudes, right, who uh, came from a long lineage of rich families who had really strong identities. So you can kind of see where some of the insecurity developed there further. But my point is, it's not about the wealth, right? What I was a lot of times jealous of was that identity, right? These people, I'm, okay, so I, I had a friend, right? His dad and his grandfather were doctors. Guess what he got into when he went to college? Any wild guesses? You can talk. Yeah, yeah. So. He went into medicine. Pretty straightforward, right? Uh, what about this guy I knew? Wasn't necessarily my friend. Uh, and his brother, by the way. Little brother. Uh, their grand, great-grandfather, grandfather, and their dad were journalists. Guess what they went into? Journalism. The little brother went into uh, sports media. Right? Makes sense. The list goes on and on. Do you see what I'm saying? This, the list goes on and on and on. And for me, someone whose dad was sort of kind of a preacher, I was a Korean American. Right? I didn't have, I didn't even have my grand, grandparents in Oxford, Mississippi, or in the United States uh, in general. Right? So I lacked that identity and I hated it. So these people, I saw them as people who had the answers. They knew exactly what they were put on this earth to do. And if you are that, great. That's great. But sometimes, in fact, a lot of times I feel like we are put in that position like where I was. Where we don't have that place that we are told, right? We don't have that definite stability. Sometimes we don't know where we're going. And I hate it not knowing. So my family was different. I was different. But looking back now, I understand that it was okay not to know. And I'm not, again, I'm not talking about just career-wise. I'm not talking about just, you know, what you're going to major in college, right? Because I would even dare say a lot of those people suffer spiritually right now. 
I'm thankful to be here where I am. But I learned that it's okay to not know sometimes. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Can somebody read that real quick? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in, the, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Okay, so trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's pretty pretty easy, right, to, to understand. What's the second part? And that's what I want to focus on. What does it say? Lean not on your own understanding. It's not that we don't have our own understandings. We do. God designed us to be intellectual. God designed us to have wisdom of our own. But God's saying, don't lean on that, right? Don't lean on that, depend on God, right? That very concept itself implies that God has an expectation for us to depend on Him, intellectually, spiritually, circumstantially, whatever, right? So sometimes we don't know, but that's okay. Why? Because God knows that we don't know sometimes, and God's actually telling us, hey, not only is it okay for you to not know sometimes, but actually, I want you to depend on me. I don't want you to have all the answers. In fact, don't have all the answers. But when you don't, make sure you depend on me. Trust in me. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. We won't read it because of time, but Paul warns the Corinthians, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Throughout the Bible is this idea of dependency. And it's not toxic dependency that like, we think about when we think about relationships between humans. Dependency on God. God, the perfect and the most holy and good, just, righteous God. We can depend on Him. We can depend on Him fully without it being becoming toxic. Because that's who God is. And God has the expectation for us to depend on Him. So why is it that throughout all scripture that there is this idea that we are expected to trust God and lean on him because God understands that we don't have all the answers. So God is calling us to depend on him. So when you feel like you don't know, know that it is okay to not know. And depend on God for his wisdom. Pray for it and ask him. Number two, I felt guilty about my anxiety, like my worries, my cares, but I learned that it is okay to worry. Uh, in our text is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. So don't get me wrong. Right? I know the verses, I know the Bible uh, uh, concepts about anxiety and worries. Right? We really shouldn't have it. But that doesn't mean that God counts every single instance of anxiety or worry as sin. Okay? I've known passages like Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 34, where Jesus is saying, Don't, you know, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Right? God's gonna, God's gonna address you, God's gonna feed you, God's gonna take care of you. As long as you focus on God, God's gonna take care of you. I know those passages. Don't worry. I do. Right? But because of that, because of that misunderstanding, naturally young David felt guilty whenever a worry sprouted in his heart, right? Or some, had some kind of anxiety about the future. I was mature enough to understand that God wasn't talking about, you know, just being nervous like Caden probably was when he was speaking in front of <laughs> uh, the congregation, right? Not that kind of nervous. I knew that he wasn't talking about that. But still, it, it made me feel guilty whenever I did feel nervous or anxious. 
But as I grow more mature in my understanding of God's word, his nature, his being, his the aspects of his goodness and justice and righteousness, I understood that God wasn't condemning us for our worries. What he was doing was that he only wanted us to cast it on to him so that he could liberate us from it, free us from it. That's the, that's the expectation. The expectation is not not to worry. That's not the, the what the text is saying. The text is saying, if you have worries, put it on God. And he'll take care of you. God created us in his own image. And this is this is the logic, this is the argument. God created us in his image. That's uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, right? When he created us and everything around us, guess what? He saw it. Uh, that, that we had capacity to feel, to, to have emotion, to have thought, right? Part of that is worry. Part of that is the ability, the capacity to have anxiety and worries and be nervous, right? That is a natural human emotion. Now, that is a byproduct of our imperfect world. But nevertheless, God understands. God understands that we have those things. That's why he deals with it in Scripture. We just kind of twist it sometimes and think, well, God's going to zap us out of the air if we, if we, you know, ever worry about something. That's not what God is saying. Exodus chapter 14, verse 13 through 14, Moses understood this and reassures the Israelites that God will fight for them. Right? Psalm, chapter, uh, Psalm 18, verse 2, the psalmist understood this and compares God to things like rock, refuge, stronghold. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, God tells Israel through Jeremiah that even in exile, when people are being killed, raped, murdered, taken away, ripped apart, families, even in those situations, God's saying, I got you and you have to trust in me. Do you think God counted against those people who were going through that and felt anxious? He just wanted them to depend on him. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 uh, through 30, Jesus promises that uh, the people rest right? and less burden. My yoke is easy. First Peter chapter five verse seven. Our text. Uh, Peter gives a reason for us to give God our cares. He cares for us. That's the main point. It's not that we're not supposed to have worries. It's that we're supposed to put it on God. That's the main point. So we apply that. Obviously, Peter got this idea from Jesus. We apply that to the Sermon on the Mount. It's the same thing. Jesus is not saying it's sinful for you to worry ever. He's saying when you have worry, don't let it fester. Make sure you put it on God. That's the part where he says, right? Seek first the righteousness of God, right? So, um, so I learned that when I feel anxiety, it shouldn't be a source of guilt or self-pity. It should be looked at as an opportunity for me to depend on God. Number three, I try to wrestle life into my control. But I learned that letting go is surprisingly better. Surprisingly better. Maybe you're not at that stage yet because some of most of you can't even drive yet, so you don't have any kind of control over, you know, what you can and what you can't do, right? Uh, your parents drive you to church, your parents drive you to sports, you're legally forced to go to school, right? Uh, tyranny, but 
So you don't have a lot of control over your life. But as you grow, you're gonna gain more and more control. I found that out when I went to Free Hardman and I, you know, the, the cafeteria there is all you can eat and I have a food, uh, the, the meal plan. As long as I scan it, I can eat as much, you know, slices of pizza or whatever that I want. Found that out real quick that I have freedom and there are consequences. And I gained like 20 pounds that first semester. I know, crazy. Uh, and I, I'm still working on it, but um, freedom, right? Control. As you grow older and older, you're gonna have more and more control over your own life. And that's natural. That is designed by God, right? Your parents are guiding you most of the way right now, but as you grow older, you're gonna have more and more control over your life. And the temptation there is, as you grow older and have more control over your life, is this delusion that you think you can make life what you want it to look like by controlling it and by wrestling it into your own control. I learned very quickly that that is not the case. Right? You know how many colleges I applied to my junior year? Take a guess. How many universities did David Chang apply to this junior year? Come on, just guess. Five. No. Close. 20. 20 colleges. That's how many I got into. A fat zero. Yeah, I know. Hey, look, I had a, I had a 31 on my ACT. I had a, a I don't know what my best but I also took SATs. Uh, guess what? That ACT score, I got the first try. Yeah. Cool. So I was pretty confident. I was packing my resume, right, or whatever. I did a bunch of extracurricular clubs. I did band. I played sport, or not play, but ran, you know, uh, and stuff like that. I, I did everything that I could to stack the cards, right, to my advantage, to my favor. And I put all those things, and I wrote the most beautiful application essay about the hardships of immigrant, uh, the immigrant life, and like how, you know, I can speak both languages and stuff like that. Hey. Oh, it's on the other side. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but anyway, I did all those things, right? I did all the all things right. I checked off all the boxes, and I applied to as many colleges like I shotgunned it, right? So at least one or two would hit. And guess what? It's what God taught me. Uh, it's not in your control. I can even my odds as much as I want. I can try everything, I can calculate, I can do everything in my power. And I did everything in my power, expecting good outcomes. And guess what I got? I got zero, right? And there are some explanations that I'm an Asian male. That is one of the most competitive demographics in terms of college applications, so, right? So, you know, there are logical explanations, but another thing I think that I learned on the spiritual side is that God was telling me, it's not under, under your control. Sometimes we're afraid of life, we're afraid of the future because we can't control it. And we have anxieties and we have worries because we don't know how to wrestle it into our control. But that's not what it's designed to be like. God knows that already. Right? So why, why foolishly try? Okay? So I learned 
that life is not something that I can just control by calculating and planning merely, right? And in fact, just letting go was surprisingly better. You know what happened when I let go? I, I saw all those rejections and I was like, man, I'm, I'm tired. Maybe it's not for me to go to college or whatever. Maybe I should find a trade job. I don't know. That's, there's nothing wrong with that, right? But as an immigrant person, I couldn't even work, right, with my visa. I couldn't work, literally, legally speaking, I couldn't work. So I was like, what am I going to do? I just let go and I looked into free farming because my dad went there and we had connections. And guess what? I got in like literally like two days after. I was like a late registration. I got all the scholarship I needed, right? And I went, right? So perhaps God was preparing me in that way by, you know, trying so hard to put me in the right position for all these big old, you know, state colleges and whatever. I was actually putting myself in the perfect position to go to Great Harvard with no resistance. I don't know. But here's the thing. I don't have to know. I don't care anymore. Not because it's in the past, but because I understand now that God's in control. And maybe that doesn't really resonate with you well right now. But trust me, you will learn as you start to drive yourself around, as you start to make choices that are independent from your parents and your family, as you start making decisions about who to date, who to see, all of these things, you're gonna start having more, more and more control and the temptation will be to wrestle life into your own control. But you're gonna quickly learn that life is not something you can control. And it's a lot better when you give that control to God. Number four, running out of time. I feared the future for its unknowability, its uncertainty. It felt dark. But I learned to love it for its possibilities. So at one point, because of all these things that I've told you so far about me, that I struggled with in the past, I hated the future. Right? Part of that, hating that question of what are you going to be in, in the future, I hated it because at the core of that, I hated not knowing about what was in the future, right? So it felt dark. It felt like a void. It felt like an abyss. And I hated the abyss. I hated the darkness. I hated not knowing. And that was the future for me. But as I grew older and as I matured in my faith and, and as I watched my life unfold, and this is a lesson that I learned after I got through it all somehow. I learned, or I understood, that the future, though it's unknowable, can we agree? We don't know the future. We can never know the future, right? So I'm not saying it's knowable all of a sudden. But though the future is unknowable and it is uncertain, it's not something that we need to fear when we are with God. In fact, it has a lot of room for positive and good possibilities when we do the right things. So Different Maker was when I was a lift up, when I was able to lift up the burden of my anxieties and worries and properly place it on God, not on myself. Because again, I mean, can you imagine what a what an anxious uh, or a ball of anxiety I was when I was waiting for those 20 applications to colleges to come back? And when I started seeing rejection, 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 you know how nervous and worried I was? Right? When I learned to lift up my burden of, of my anxieties and worries and put it on God, I finally found room to breathe, to hope, to look around and enjoy my life, 
to see my family for the blessing that it is, to see opportunities and possibilities. Back then, I didn't see Free Harmon as an opportunity. In fact, I didn't, I didn't really want to go to Free Harmon. It's in the middle of nowhere. I just got out of Martin, Tennessee, and Ole Miss, or uh, Oxford, Mississippi, and got to a bigger city. Why would I want to go back to old Henderson, Tennessee? Why would I want to do that? I didn't see it as a possibility, but when I started to let go and put it on God, it became a blessing, and it became a wealth of opportunities for me. A lot of my friends that I call my friends, right, and will be for my lifetime, are not from Martin, Tennessee, are not from Mississippi, all those people that I told you about, are not free, right? And maybe there was a design there, a will of God there. And this is how I met you guys. And I'm standing here right now. Throughout the Minor Prophets, uh, God is very scared, uh, being honest. In this prophecy about judgment of Israel, the day of the Lord, is this theme that comes, the motif that comes up over and over again. It's this pronouncement of judgment because Israel has been sinning against God for centuries. And God has been trying to tell them, please stop this before I have to do something about it. And they will not listen. You know what happens at the end of that, right? Babylon. Assyria, Babylon, Persia, all these foreign nations, foreign powers come in and invade Israel and Judah. And they get knocked down. And they don't have a home anymore. They don't have families anymore. They're slaves in foreign countries. The minor prophets, the stories and the words of these prophets proclaiming the message of God to these sinful Israelites and Judah for them to turn back. And there's a lot of scary imagery there because of judgment. But what you're going to find in the minor prophets is there's always hope that's parallel with these judgments. Micah chapter 7, verse 18 through 20. Micah chapter 7, verse 18 through 20. It's the very last section. Who is a God like you, hardening iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham. And you have sworn, or as you have sworn to our fathers in the days of old. And that leads me to the last point. I felt very far from God in my instability, but I learned that God had a plan to restore me to him. Let me be honest with you. I didn't live the most Christian, perfect life when I was uh, middle school, high school, especially towards the end of high school, uh, when I was full of anxiety and worries and all these things, I looked to other things to kind of satiate that, to, to alleviate that, right? And in those moments, because I started to associate those things with my anxiety, I would feel very far from God. When I felt worried, when I felt anxious, I started to feel very, very, very far from God. Do you know that? Do you know what I'm talking about? That feeling of being far from God. I don't know if you've experienced it yet. You guys are all perfect kids, so I don't know. Um, 
Here's the thing, and it's really simple. On those days when I felt the furthest from God, I was actually not all that much further away from Him or at all. In fact, God has always been right there with me. Always. Even when I felt the furthest away from Him, God was always there with me. And He had a plan for me. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, John tells us that God is faithful to save us if we are willing to confess our sins and repent, right? Confession is not just about saying, hey, I did wrong, right? It's like you're going up to your friend who, you know, you did wrong. You're not just saying sorry. Hopefully, you'll make that relationship right by turning that around and not doing that ever again. Well, guess what? God says, if you do that with me, I will forgive you. I have all the right to knock you out of existence. But I'm not going to do that. I promise that I will forgive you and that I will always be. That was Jeremiah, uh, God's promise to Jeremiah. If you look through Jeremiah, Jeremiah always pray to God, God, where are you? Why are you doing this? Why am I always suffering? God says, I'm always with you and I'm always going to deliver you. My point is, and we're out of time, life is hard. Right? And I know what it feels like to be in your shoes right now. You may not act like it. You may act like, oh, this is boring. I know. At some point, if you already haven't, if you haven't already, at some point, you're going to feel that dread. You're going to feel that anxiety. You're going to feel that worry. I know because I'm human and I know you're human. Unless you're an alien or God himself, you're going to feel that anxiety. The question is, how are you going to deal with it? How are you going to navigate that? It's not through planning, it's not through meticulous calculating, it's not through stacking degrees or, or having a bunch of money. That's not going to solve the problem. What I've learned in my time through your stage of life right now is that really it all boils down to depending on God. And asking the right questions and answering that correctly. It's not about the money. It's not about the career. It's not about the education. None of that. At the basis, make sure that your relationship with God is right. And part of that is putting your anxiety on Him. That's how you're going to forecast your spirituality for the next five years. I hope that you'll do that. Thank you very much.